In this episode of the Happy Coffee Podcast, I have a conversation with Diego Barona on Los Pirineos Coffee Farm, who became a coffee producer very unexpectedly. I wasn't planning to become a producer at my age. After his dad's passing, he was left a coffee farm in El Salvador. Just one word to describe him, I think it's visionary. As a business owner, Diego runs into multiple problems. Climate change the warming, and that, that's such a big thing, and I've seen big change in the last few years. And he has one clear goal in mind. For me, coffee, I, I, I just want to be drinkable. I, I don't want to be intimidating to people. Welcome to the Happy Coffee Podcast. I'm your host, Wendelin van Bunnik. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with your coffee friends. After all, coffee tastes better in good company. Now, let's get started. Diego, welcome to this episode of the of the happy coffee podcast thank you so much for for joining me uh, it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to have you on i feel like we don't often get to hear the producing side of, of the the voice of the producers um that often and as part of that i've been wanting to talk to um as many coffee producers as possible and and this conversation is the first one of that so i'm really grateful that you uh that you agreed on joining me today so first of all thank you for that thank you so much i'm really honored to be here with you (laughs) so um shall we kick off by um you doing a little bit of an introduction about yourself just tell us a little bit who you are what you do what you're joining in coffee is pretend that we have no idea who you are and just tell us your story (laughs) perfect yeah, uh, I'm Diego Barahona. I'm a fifth-generation coffee producer here in El Salvador. Right now, I'm heading to my fourth year, actually, running the Farm Los Pirineos. Um, wow, it's been such a such a big journey. And honestly, life brought me here. Destiny brought me here. I wasn't planning to become a, a producer at my age. I became a producer when I was 25 years old. I'm 29 right now. My father, uh, Gilberto, which you, you, you met, um, he was a, I mean, he, he's a legend. And thanks to him, he left us a really big legacy, but he passed away COVID in 2020. So when that happened, I was currently living in Barcelona. I was studying and working in SAP consulting, so nothing to do with coffee. I was more in the in the tech industry, in the consulting industry. Mm-hmm. So when that happened, that year in COVID, in the pandemic, I was faced by, by a really big, big choice. Would I just stay in Spain, follow my life, do my own thing, or go back home and take over the farm and the whole business? It was a really, really hard choice to take. But uh, I, t- I was like, no, I need to go back, take on a challenge because I don't need to run away from problems. I need to face them. And, and, and I feel like that was a good challenge. And since then, I have no regrets. I'm really happy to the choice. I've learned so much about life. Uh, I, I mean, I've gotten really, really good life lessons. Um, I've always loved coffee in a way. I knew I was going to get into coffee, but like later on in life, not, not at that age. But so far, it's been such a wonderful journey, and it's been really nice to meet people in, in a really uh, um, dynamic industry. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I speak for a lot of uh, coffee professionals when I when I say that your your father was indeed a legend uh, uh, and a hero. I was fortunate enough to uh, to meet him when I was uh, traveling to Origin uh, to El Salvador in in two thousand fifteen, and are you? Uh, okay with talking about your your dad a little bit yeah yeah, yeah for sure yes yeah. what I remember from from meeting him is his amazing energy he yeah. talked constantly 
uh, I think we were invited to uh, your parents' house for a cupping in the evening, and then uh, your mother oh. made us hamburgers, <laughs> and and it was yeah. absolutely wonderful. Um, and then we visited your farm the next day, and he seemed particularly proud of his nursery with all these mm-hmm. crazy uh, varieties that I, because when in 2015 I was in the coffee industry for I think three or four years, so quite not that long yet. Um, I was still in the stage that I thought I knew everything. And then I, um, (laughs) then I was confronted with the fact that I didn't know anything the moment I went to origin and seeing those, um, varieties that your dad produced there was, was ridiculous. Like I'd never, like these varieties that I'd never heard of, that was, that was groundbreaking. Yeah. That makes me wonder, like, what was it like growing up? with your dad that's a good question so first of all i think if there's one word to describe him i think it's visionary i think because the farm it was before he took over in the early 2000s the farm wasn't really like like that special you know i mean it's, it's a beautiful place yeah but it was only focused on producing cherries and uh like the mentality was different but when he stepped in and he took really really over the vision he brought and the mindset it was just mind blowing. Like he saw something really big out of his place, and thanks to him, I'm I am where I am right now. But yeah, going back to your question, uh, it was it to be honest, it wasn't easy because he was such 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 a big big deal. So he expected uh, a, a lot from from me and my sister. Uh, so sometimes it's, it's a lot of pressure. And when I stepped over the the business almost four years ago that was always uh, lingering in my in my mind am i going to do it justice because he left such a big project such a big big mark i was like am i capable of like stepping in his footsteps am i capable of continuing am i worthy uh so so many big questions but i really liked it because he was always expecting the best of us he was always pushing us to, to be the best so um i think that's what a great dad does to, to a son he pushes you to to get the best person out of you yeah, I can imagine that he was a big personality and and that you mm-hmm. may be different in that, but that doesn't mean that you can't make your own, like you can continue. It seems like you're at least that you're continuing that legacy, um, but also making it your own. Um, did did your dad record everything that he do? Like, because you're in the terms of like these ideas, these big ideas and, and that mission that he was on. Like, obviously, his passing was quite unexpected. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have enough, like, information of, of what was in his head to continue it? No, not really. <laughs> not really. No. <laughs> and, I mean, because you, you uh, almost, I mean, you, you met him uh, briefly, right? Yeah. Um, so, so you knew how he was. He was so electric. He was always, like, I feel like he was so, so smart. But sometimes he couldn't just focus on one thing because he was so inspired by many things. Uh, sometimes it was really hard to grasp what he, what he wanted to do. But I realized that he's now living through all of my teammates and my and my entire team at the farm and at the office and the mill. Like I feel like he, there's a piece of him in in all of us. So when I took over, um, I I mean I. I had no knowledge of anything because he he had all the knowledge of processing of the vision of the farm what what things were done here. So because of working as a team, I feel like it's been really easy because he uh, taught all of the team part of his knowledge. So that's been really really nice to work together because I feel like I'm working with him sometimes. 
yeah, I can imagine that that kind of lives on through the path that you chose. But yeah, to be honest, you had to become a coffee producer within a couple of years, and not only just like a yeah. not just a regular coffee producer, but one who has like a very specific mission. Mm-hmm. And you seem to be surviving, right? And you seem to be thriving. Yeah. <laughs> um, have yeah. Have you been able to find your place in that? Uh, in that, like, because that's a big shift from being a young, uh, mm-hmm. young person who has a certain goal uh, and an idea and plan for life, like studying in different direction, and then, you know, making that huge decision of of turning into a coffee producer. Are you more settled in? Yeah, yeah. I to be honest, it took me like I think the first harvest was was a bit rocky for me because I needed to learn a lot, a lot of things. You know, not only what is to be a coffee producer. I need to learn how to run the business, how to be a boss, um, how to be a leader, uh, a lot of financial things. It was like a big, big salad of like things I, I needed to learn at the same moment. And also like uh, carrying on the, the brand of Speed and Nails, all that. But um, I got to a point that I thought, okay, this is something that I didn't expect in my life. So I need to take it day by day, week by week, because if not, if not it can be a bit overwhelming. So I started uh, enjoying each day, each week, and the, and the small um, wins of, of each day. And then it just kept going on that. And then I, after a year, I, I felt really, really comfortable. So I feel like you got to take challenges bit by bit, you know? Yeah. That's the lesson that I, I learned. Just take small steps forward every day, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I, yep. I try to do the same when I get overwhelmed with big projects. I do remember when I visited Los Pirineos that it was probably the most meticulous and clean and organized uh, uh, washing station that we visited on that trip. I remember how clean the tiles yeah. were at, at Los Pirineos, which I thought mm-hmm. was incredible. Like, it feels like you can take a bath in those fermentation tanks yourself. <laughs> I mean, and the, I, yeah. I guess that says something about the the quality standard that your dad started with yeah. and that you are now uh, following up on. So that makes me wonder what yeah. kind of, do you have ideas on how to um, build on your dad's legacy? Like, do you have ideas that, because obviously a lot has changed uh, and, and I feel like the coffee industry is changing fast, looking at production methods, processing methods, mm-hmm. um, fermentation styles, like all the experimental fermentations that are happening and and. Um, that might not have been as trending before COVID. How do you see that? Are you looking to just continue the work what your dad did, or are you now starting to find also your own voice in that? That was one of the things that I, I was trying to decide, and I am trying to decide honestly. Uh, so so far, I've been trying to keep it the way he was doing it because uh, it was working perfectly, and, and it still is. I think his processing methods were, were really, like you said, very very clean, very meticulous. So, so far, I've been trying to maintain the same standard of quality in terms of like producing and, and processing as well, because in order to achieve like greatness and, and, and a good quality in a consistent level each single year, I think how you manage everything from the soil to the, to the, to the cup to export, I think it, it's, it's really important. What I've been trying to do right now also is a bit, I think coffee can get a bit too complicated sometimes with processing methods and all that. Because trying to follow trends as producer can be quite hard sometimes. Because as I've noticed, coffee trends change, they change almost every year. 
and for producing for producers it's not really easy to to follow like like why is the the trend set by by roasters or baristas in the end and not by producers because sometimes it's really hard to to because we take all the risks so um, I've been trying to be a bit more efficient and not take get too complicated with with processing because it it can be quite chaotic sometimes. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's an interesting question you raised there. Like, why are the trends decided by roasters or bristas, or I think in the end by consumers, um, while you're working with a product that is mm-hmm. coming from nature, that has its cycle that you can't change. Yeah. I mean, if you want to change something, it's going to take at least a year because if it goes well or if it goes wrong, then you have a full year before you need to wait till the next harvest. So yeah. you can't really afford to, you know, uh, uh, miss, miss out on too much of, or like if you want to use a specific part of your crop for some crazy experiments and it doesn't work or if it does work, but it's just not, no one's buying it. Then as you said, all yeah. the risk is, is for you. So I completely understand why producers would then be reluctant to do that and and take that risk also because it's if you think about it and if you realize how much work goes into producing a coffee every year making sure that there is a harvest that there's cherries that they're processed that they're uh, dried in a way that is you know high quality like that is an accomplishment in itself and something Mm -hmm. that is a continuous process i can imagine so that makes me wonder what what do you see as a coffee producer? Like what is your the biggest challenge or what are some of the biggest challenges that you face on a daily basis? Well, I think the number one challenge is the weather, the highly unpredictable weather, uh, climate change, global warming. I mean, that, that's such a big thing. And I've seen a big change in the last few years. It's getting much, much hotter. Um, we've been seeing like uh, rain when we don't want rain. And when we really want rain, we don't get rain. It's mm-hmm. like, like, please, weather. Decide what, what are you doing. Yeah. Um, so can you can so yeah, you elaborate a little bit on that? Like for instance, what is the moment <laughs> that you don't want rain that you would get rain, and how does that like? Yeah. Just walk us through that. Yeah. So this year it was really annoying because we got rain in January when our harvest is in season, you know. So we we have cherries on the trees, and then we get rain, and when and when we get rain, that moment of the year uh, between January and March. If the cherries on the on the trees, the cherries get cracked. Okay. They get cracked, and that's that's a complete spoil for us. Yes. Because if they crack, that the cherries fall from the tree. Um, the cherries, if you pick them and then you process them, you you can get phenolic flavors and all that. So it's so, such a it's a, it's a big problem to get rain while during harvest. Mm-hmm. And then when we don't get rain, when we need rain, which is after harvest, which starts around like April or May, mm-hmm. uh, you get really dry season. The heat gets really, really intense, and the trees they suffer. These get really uh, dry, really, really brownish, yellowish color. The trees not healthy. The cherries not mature properly. So it's it's this big, big chain of like uh, like a like a domino effects of, of problems. Yeah, that must be frustrating. And and you said oh, that yeah. you're definitely noticing like because you mentioned the last three years. So it's not climate change that is like gradually changing over ten years, but you're noticing like mm-hmm. actual big changes within a time frame yeah. of three three harvests yeah three harvests and then um 1500 meters above sea level is not the same as it was uh five years ago you know it's uh, up here in altitude it's a bit hotter so people who were down there at 12,000 meters which 
back then it was like oh it's a good height or altitude now it's it's too hot okay so it's slowly like yeah changing yeah so that's moving upwards as well so you need to have higher Mm -hmm. elevation for those lower temperatures for more gradual growing okay and yeah so way to combat that is uh agroforestry nothing more for for more trees for for shade that that seems to help okay but i don't think it's a long-term solution I think I remember your your dad talking about um, he felt very strongly about the shade trees at, mm-hmm. at his farms as well, and that is mostly to prevent the cherries and the te- like to keep the the shade to make sure that the uh, the cherries and the the plants suffer less from the heat. I guess like mm-hmm. what what did the exactly. so the, that keeps the temperature lower on the ground for the for the coffee plants, right? Exactly. Yeah, it keeps like the microclimate a bit a bit cooler, more more breezier, uh, colder mm-hmm. compared to like like when there's no shade. Yeah. But then trees need time to grow as well. So before you have a nice mm-hmm. pack of shade trees, that takes a couple of years as well. I can imagine. Like two to three years. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's a solution, but it's like relatively short term. Yeah. No, a challenge I would say is um, I think the production costs have gotten really really high. Also, producing coffee has gotten really expensive. So then it leads to a big problem with pricing, you know, uh, how, how the market uh, is it's willing to pay for coffee right now. It's, it's not uh, coherent to the, to the price changes in, in, in origin. Mm-hmm. So that's another challenge I, I've been noticing. Okay. I feel like this has been something that has always been a problem, like that has never been right. Yeah. But do you feel because the costs have risen more steeply, then it's be- the gap has become bigger? between like the mm-hmm. price so the yeah so even further apart yeah. of, of uh what what your customers should be paying uh, or are willing to pay between what yeah the cost that you're making right yeah so how do you deal with that i think part of that i guess it's my uh, mission also to like inform clients and customers hey this was going on uh and so far i think I've, I've been kind of successful with with our portfolio of clients mm-hmm. i don't know how how it is out there with with other producers and clients but for me i, I mean i've been trying to be really honest i think honestly it's the best way to, to go about it hey this was going on this is what it's taking um i think like like open up a bit more yeah so be transparent about like be, be transparent yeah, yeah. So is that something that uh, all coffee producers, for instance, in El Salvador, do they suffer the same or do they have the same challenges? Or is that something that is like, does that apply to all coffee producers as far as you think? Hmm. I think um, at a local level, I think, yes, we are suffering the, the, the same issues. Uh, like I said, high production costs, Um climate change as well and there's another big issue that i forgot to mention it's because of migration people living to the u.s and, and other countries it's been getting harder also to find pickers or, or workers age harvest so that's another issue that all of us are are going through yeah so that means that the people that you can find yeah they they you probably need to pay them more um, to make it interesting to to pick coffee and to be like a seasoned worker rather than for them to find a job somewhere in the US where they can probably get, you know, a different pay rate or think they can. Exactly. Yeah, but then pay more, uh, it's it's a very tricky uh, situation because if I pay more, I can disrupt my, my other neighboring farms who are not able to pay more. And then I'm going to take all the work through from, from him because I'm paying more. So it's a, it's a tricky situation also. Just pay more. It's. I mean, it's nice to pay more, like much, much more, but I'm going to disrupt the, the other farms also. 
so that's how to, how to yeah that's interesting um is that do you have a a, a close relationship with with your neighboring uh, uh coffee producers like you you clearly then you're not as competitive but you're more in the same yeah. boat together exactly yeah and that's something I've, I've been trying to also change here uh we shouldn't look at each other as competition as producers because coffee is such a huge huge market it's i feel like that the demand is bigger than the, than the actual production of coffee in the world so i think it's really nice to be able to communicate with, with other producers farmers and share knowledge um share costs you know hey um, um how much are you paying for this hey how much you're producing like like that's really important because it gives also like a ballpark and it's like a way to like it's like a thermometer in a way to see how things are and everything makes sense so the sharing of knowledge and techniques, I think, is really, really important in order for us to to grow as as a country and as an origin. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I guess um, we're trying to do the same thing here, for instance, with the uh, which is not exactly the same, but it reminds me of the the payment gap between uh, men and women, where if women yeah. talk more about how much, or if we're more open about how much we're actually making, then things become more clear and you can have a better understanding like a thermometer, as you said, of what you're worth. And if you want to go into negotiation, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have a better feeling of what's fair and what, what's not fair. And you don't accidentally price yourself out of the market. Um, or yeah, you can, you can help each other. And as you mentioned, obviously the, the, the demand is so high for coffee, but it's it, what always fascinated me from my privileged side as a as a, a a barista or as a barista trainer working at a coffee roastery is that the customers in the end with their choices of um, what they buy have so much power and it's baffling mm-hmm. how little power lies at the producing side while we are 100% dependent on the fact that people are producing coffee for us. And yeah. it is my... I've been working in specialty coffee now for I think 13 or 14 years and I still on a daily basis I try to tell people that and why they should be paying more for their coffee but it's such a frustrating thing to realize especially if you've seen the producer side and not even I can't even imagine how much stronger that must feel if your your livelihood depends on it, like you're trying to support a family and you're trying to support your your neighbors. And well, it, it would be so much easier if people would just be willing to make sure that as long as your business is sustainable, like if you can run a sustainable business, mm-hmm. then that is the solution to us being able to get our coffee on a daily basis. But it's it's such a awful train of thought to want to be able to drink coffee but not to want to but you want to do it as cheap as possible and i think part of it is because people don't (laughs) understand quality per se but also this stupid race to the bottom of we want quality we want to pay but we feel like this you know we want to pay as little as possible for it not realizing Mm -hmm. what that impact is of that choice and yeah i think the only thing there is to be done is what you know you and i try to do on our sides of the globe is just to constantly talk about it and remind people make people aware of like 
I hope you feel proud that you struck a bargain now, but do you realize the impact? Like, do you know who's paying the price for that now? Like, do you think Diego's kids can go to college? Like it's, and, <laughs> and, and I think the, the more yeah. you try to give names and faces to producers, the more you can yeah. make people aware of like, you know, why we should actually be paying so much more yeah. for our coffee. It's like, I'm not trying to get ultra rich and millionaire, you know, like, like that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to run a sustainable business that makes sense financially. Yeah. You know, so it's not a, I want to raise prices to like on the, like, like a really abnormal price, but uh, yeah, the, the price increase should be a bit more, more coherent regarding our costs our, our costs here yeah it should be at, interesting at to run a business mm-hmm. that i mean obviously every, anyone who's running a business that has that doesn't make enough profit to sustain the business yeah. and sustain themselves each year yeah then yeah then you know you'd be a fool to continue on that path like you're not running a charity <laughs> you're trying to no, you know no, make a living doing yeah. something you like which is basically what we're all trying to do we just want to make a living by doing something that we like whether it's making coffee or producing coffee or uh, uh roasting coffee yeah exactly yeah because in the end I, and I realized that the farm is the business it's not only me my mom and my sister it's also all the entire 70 employees Plus, their their families to depend on the on the business. There's this like micro economy depending on the on the farm and the in the exports. Yeah. If if you see that that scale also. Yeah, it's a whole community around it as well. One thing that I remember very vividly when I visited El Salvador was the impact of Roya. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how that is in in the year 2023? It's still the same, hasn't changed at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's still alive and, and strong uh, as always. So far, to be honest with you, there's no cure for it. There's no cure at all. There's solely, I've been like finding ways to like treat it and to prevent it or to like, uh, I guess, like mitigate the, the effect. But it's always there, always, always. And with these rains that we get suddenly, uh, it gets quite trickier because it gets spread again because. Um, it's a spore, right? So uh, it's because it's a spore, it travels really easily with the wind. And with people walking during the harvest, uh, with pickers, they can get stuck on, on their clothes and they can spread it really easily also. So it, it's still the same as, as usual. It's still strong, active. Yeah. Um, I, I remember driving through El Salvador and then seeing whole farms or like just destroyed and... and Ravaged. Yeah, yeah, and people not having the financial means to revive their mm-hmm. their farm also because obviously it takes years to build that up yeah it, it that made such a huge impression on me um and and it's so does climate change affect that as well like does that have uh, uh is there a correlation between the two yeah for sure um like i mentioned before because when we get like sudden rains in moments that we don't want rain uh royas appears again and starts spreading again in moments that you don't want to have royas so it's like you, you, you uh, it's like playing whack-a-mole. Like like you 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 take one issue, then one pops up again. So you get two issues at the same time. Sometimes with the with the rains and the royal um, uh, humidity, like royal loves um, like the humid spots. Also, when it's raining and it's humid, it's not really good. So yeah, they they both go uh, hand to hand. Yeah, 
I love the analogy of uh, playing whack-a-ball. I see you running around your yeah. farms now with like a spray can of like, pesticides. Like, no, there it is. <laughs> uh, that's, it's funny. Like, like, like that's all I, I do sometimes. All oh, this happened. Okay, I solve this issue. Oh, one more issue here. It's like issue after issue. Yeah. But then it's such. Uh, it. I mean, it's funny. Like, it's that's what it to be a business owner. I think it's like solving issues. You know, and yeah, like, you like fix one issue, one like... thing. Yeah, and then the next one pops up. <laughs> I guess. I guess that's life in general, yeah. isn't it? Like the moment I guess, things yeah, seem to be yeah, going well, it's like. And... And then I told my mom, like, mom, I think college didn't teach me anything. <laughs> <laughs> college is one thing. <laughs> but running your own business, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's, tough yeah. you know? it's really nice. It's beautiful. It's nice, flexible. You know, it's, you learn a lot of things. You, you, you're on schedule. But it's, it's tough. you got to have really high emotional intelligence. Um, because handling stress and all that, you, you need to be strong in, in deciding and taking decisions yeah and there's a big and a big responsibility on your shoulders as well because oh, there's yeah. a lot of people depending on you exactly yeah yeah every every payroll you gotta be ready for payroll yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah so did you plan on becoming a like business owner remind me again what you did in college yeah you mentioned at the beginning I went to college in the u.s yeah so i was in college in the u.s i went there 2013 and then graduate graduate twenty seventeen. I, I started business and entrepreneurship, which I guess okay, right now it, that it helps. really works for me. <laughs> thank God yeah. for that. Yeah, I hope yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank God for it. <laughs> thank God for it, yeah. And then I did my masters in Barcelona, but I was mostly focused on consulting in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. I was I don't know if you heard of the software called SAP. Yes. Yeah, SAP. So I was uh, going to school for uh, becoming an SAP consultant in tech. So, yeah, I, I was really into it. I really wanted to work in the industry in, in Barcelona, in Spain. So that was my focus. But then I ended up as a coffee producer. Yeah. I mean, life, right? Life, yeah. I, life change. I studied to become an English teacher, and now I still work in coffee nice. 15 years later. Being able to travel to origin really was uh, very confrontational for me because when when i went there like i was already training people i was training baristas and i was explaining to uh, to baristas uh, uh, as a barista trainer what it what the difference between a washed coffee and a natural coffee is and i'd been doing that for like 2 years full time and then i traveled to guatemala and then el salvador um, and costa rica and i realized i didn't know anything i did not understand what <laughs> washed process is let alone all the like the honey processed varieties and all I like I knew absolutely nothing and something when you get the chance to stand next to a fermentation tank with a producer yeah. and it helps if you have a glass of rum in your hand that is local that is you know very helpful and, and you visit the farms <laughs> during the day you get to ask your questions and you realize that it is so complex and so much can mm. go wrong that made yeah. me from being this entitled barista who thought she knew how the world worked to I don't know anything and I'm just gonna start from scratch and start taking notes um, and I think that was such yeah. a profound moment like personally I wish that every barista I wish for them to be able to go to an origin uh, country and see how mm -hmm. how much more complex it is and how hard of work it is it's just people, I think, like 
an easy yeah. solution because yeah. if they would understand more of what's behind a product, then mm -hmm. it would just blow their minds, I guess. But we have no other choice than just to keep sharing this uh, a nuanced version, I guess, of, uh, of, of how our industry works. And I think that's why conversations like this are so valuable. Yeah, so people get really stressed and really bummed about the fact that coffee is getting more expensive, but they're not aware that their buying choices has a big impact. And yeah. it's just and weird. Then like it, it, it's annoying, yeah. right? And then I get this really common comments each year. They're like, oh, how much are how much do you charge for this coffee? I'm like, this, this, this. And they're like, oh, but we pay this for this and this origin. I'm like, I don't care what you pay in the origin. That, it, it's, this is, it, it, like, don't compare origins. Each origin has a different cost. And, and like, it yeah. makes no sense in that way. It just, it's, yeah. it's baffling. It's, I can imagine because there's so many people who just think like they're buying coffee and that's the one product that they're getting. Like they're just beans. Yeah, like, and, and they're trying I'm to not compare. I'm apples. I mean, I guess it's the same for Apple industry too though like if you want to import really? um i mean i'm sure it depends if you want to import apples from spain or if you want to get apples that are grown here in the netherlands it's going to be different because the costs are going to be different and the transport mm -hmm. is like it's you can't compare if you're buying yeah. a product from it a does. different country then you're going to have different costs i my biggest yeah. one of my biggest misconceptions that i'm not afraid to admit here on this podcast is when i traveled to uh, to Central America, I didn't know that there would be such a huge, huge difference between Guatemala, El Salvador, and Costa Rica, not only in terms of, well, I knew it in terms of coffee, but I didn't realize in terms of culture as well. Yeah, very, I mean, culture, accent, everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously when you think about it, it's embarrassing because we like to make jokes about the Americans, how they think that Europe is just one big uh, a <laughs> continent or and and then we think like do you know how different the dutch are from the germans and the belgians so i i did the exact same and that's because you're very like remote from each other i guess and it's not that but it's that's why being able to travel or at least being introduced to more cultures is so important so one thing i've been wanting to ask you as well um i remember and you can always say if this is not something you can answer but one of the biggest things that made an impact when um i visit los pirineos um was your dad's nursery and all these crazy mm -hmm. varieties that he showed me including a variety that had like i think six or seven seeds in one cherry oh, i think it was yeah, polysperma. polysperma that yep. was ridiculous yeah um is it still there like is that a coffee variety that he just kept for fun or can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was, uh, one of the, the nursery, like the, the garden is still here. It's still thriving. It's still really, really beautiful. I, I call it the, the Spiganeos candy shop because it's, it's like going to a candy shop and seeing all, all the different coffee varieties. It's really nice. And I, in the last few years, I've been growing it more. I've been able to get some more new coffee varieties. So it's exciting mm -hmm. to keep on growing on the, on the, on the selection, on the, on the menu of the Spiganeos. And polysperma is still there, but it's only in the garden. Uh, so for, uh, I have yeah. no plans on, on planting on, on the field, but I've, I've, it's still there because I think it's a really beautiful tree. And, and it's really mind-blowing to see that the really huge cherry with like the 10, I think it's 10 seeds actually inside. If you, if you open the cherry, it looks like a little mandarin, right? Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so funny. <laughs> it's, I, didn't, it's I didn't even yeah. realize that existed. And now that we're heading towards the direction, I'm interested how important is being able to do marketing and getting your like name of your farm out there for a producer? That's a really good question, yeah. And I think marketing is really, really important. And I had this talk with somebody recently. Um, social media is such a powerful tool, and I think producers should exploit it much, much more. Social media can open you so many doors. Because it's, like you said earlier today, I think social media can be a way of like telling stories, but like, like actual stories of what it is to be a producer. So marketing is such a really important tool, and producers should always be focused on building their, their farm and their brand via social media, That's which is such a powerful thing to, to do. And what I realized is really also easy to grow your customer base, because for me, I work with uh, with importers for our, our market in, in Europe. So it's really cool that I get messages or I can reach out to roasters. And like, hey, I want to get your coffee. How do you go about it? And then it's really cool. Hey, perfect. Uh, can you your email and then it's a perfect way to connect roasters with the importers and that way me as a producer i get more customers and the importer also gains more customers so it's this like symbiosis that's really cool to to create via social media which is it's really easy to be honest right yeah like you said. And, and it also helps giving face giving faces and names to the people mm -hmm. that were like whose products we're trying to sell i remember when i went to uh to el salvador i came back and i think it was um uh, one of your uh, 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 your colleagues from El Salvador where I got to ride a horse on his farm and nice. that was for me, <laughs> I won't <laughs> lie that was a bucket list thing um, and I came back and after everyone, obviously our customers uh, um, wanted to know like, oh, how was your trip? And I, I all I kept telling people is like this is the coffee that we're roasting now that was from that farm where I was on that horse and the <laughs> I think I sold <laughs> the most of that coffee, just be not because of the freaking horse, but because it, I made it personal. Like it was personal yeah. to me that that farm had made a personal impression. Um, I think I even used that that farm's coffee for my the pre rounds of my Barista Championship that year, just because I think people want personal stories mm -hmm. as well. Like we need to yeah, make exactly. we need yeah we otherwise you're just. Um, it's just anonymous and, and that doesn't give you any emotional connection. And once you know someone, once you make uh, uh, friends or you have experiences or you have a certain emotion with, uh, with people, then, you know, that, that is so much stronger. Um, yeah. And that obviously that always helps. Coffee sometimes can have like a really, has like a marketing problem sometimes. It can be quite hard for people to access it or to like uh, approach it. So it should yeah. be a bit more friendlier to, to consumers also. Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially if you want to make an impact, you need to reach larger groups of people. Like you need, there's always this struggle between the masses that maybe have no idea about quality. But I tend to think that um, you should never underestimate your customers. And I'd like to believe that we can educate people, but that doesn't mean that for instance, my mom, who's like just a regular coffee drinker, um, needs to appreciate a thermal shock, whatever, geisha. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because she she probably never will. Because if I say like, this is very special, this is the best of the best, she'll be like, I just want a good cup of coffee. Like, I don't want that full thing. <laughs> if you can reach the people that 
bought that and you can supply coffee for that group of people, the impact that you can change, that you can make is probably a lot bigger because there's just more of them. Um, yeah. And there's this uh, analogy that I'm going to say. Um, you know John Mayer, right? The, the musician? Yep. Um, John Mayer in an interview said that when he was going to college music, people were like, hey, hey, man, what scale were you playing on? What, what um, like really like techie stuff? And he was like, I don't know. And he mentioned like he just wanted to be listenable. And for me in coffee, I, I, I just want to be drinkable. I, I don't want to be intimidating to people with, with processing. I want people to enjoy coffee each day, like have a coffee that people want to drink each day. I think that's yeah. that's the goal that I, I, I have. I mean, I 100% resonate with that because that is also exactly why I started the Happy Coffee Network. What is your guilty pleasure? What's my guilty pleasure in coffee? I, I guess, mean, it doesn't have I to be coffee related. In coffee? Oh, really? No, it can, mm. it, it can also just be a music taste or a movie. Maybe you secretly love, I don't know, Terminator movie. That's not even a guilty pleasure. That's just... Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> music taste? Um, I really enjoyed uh, uh, 80s music, like like 80s. Music. See, there you go. 80s, I think 80s. I wish I was wearing in the 80s. <laughs> for like some reason, really I fun... felt that was going that direction. I was hoping for it. <laughs> I knew it was going to be 80s. Oh, 80s. there's so many guilty pleasures. Yeah, but you know, like, like like really cheesy, cheesy eighty songs. I think they're they're great songs. I <laughs> I hope that uh, you'll be uh, uh, at the next World of Coffee show and we can hang out and we'll go to an eighties bar and and have a have a yes. dance party there. And a karaoke, oh, just like a so karaoke eighties cool. theme party. <laughs> yes, amazing. I'm I'm here for it. All right, thank, Diego. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and and sharing. And being so open and honest about you know your life as as a uh, coffee producer and continuing the legacy of uh, of your dad. Thank you so much. It was a really nice talk. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Happy Coffee Podcast. If you liked it, consider sharing it with your friends or fellow coffee lovers. This will help us reach more people and make a bigger positive impact. Also, know that you're so so welcome to join our community, the Happy Coffee Network where you can ask and answer any questions, as well as join our events, workshops, and monthly get-togethers. Until next time.